Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ear Radio Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode with Dr. Jason Landecker. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, let's kick it off by having you share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, great. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to kind of be on this second season, uh, you know, transition from uh, 100 to to a thousand. Here we go. Right? <laughs> yeah. You're going to be like 103 of a thousand eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, my background, uh, I became an audiologist in 2010. I graduated from AT Still University through their residential program. Uh, prior to that was in a speech and language hearing sciences program at Moorhead State, Minnesota, uh, up in the frigid cold uh, Moorhead, Fargo, North Dakota uh, area. So it was a great transition to go from that cold to that warm uh, Arizona <laughs> heat and really enjoyed my time uh, learning about being an audiologist. I, I from the start, uh, wanted to be a SLP, just like most audiologists, but then uh, took over uh, my train of thought for audiology after my first intro to audiometry course. I always knew I wanted to be in private practice uh, because I knew I'd have the most flexibility, uh, the most autonomy to be able to provide the best level of care. Because my whole reason for wanting to get into healthcare was to provide an impact. So I knew that I could provide a bigger impact uh, in private practice and had the most flexibility to do uh, the best level of care in that process. So uh, since then, uh, I worked for a private practice owner, uh, a mentor, Dr. Paula Schwartz took over her practice in 2017 uh, with two locations, and now we're up to seven locations uh, since then. Uh, so in the last five years, we've grown a little bit. Yeah, no, this is great. I can't wait to get into all this and just really kind of break down your uh, your journey, what you've learned along the way, how you've scaled it from actually how you even came to be connected with Paula, take on her practice, scale it. So we'll get into all that, but let's go back to the beginning. So uh, you mentioned that you originally were planning on being an SLP. I love people's backstories and hearing about the mindset uh, changes that came about. Um, so how did how did you come to this decision to go from the SLP route and pivot over to audiology? Well, ultimately, I hated my phonetics class, <laughs> and I knew that also the amount of paperwork, uh, the the pre-planning that was involved with speech therapy was, was not my superpower. It wasn't an area that I found of expertise. I knew scaling it down to a one-page report uh, with the hearing uh, was much more my speed, and uh, I liked the, the balance between the science and the biology in that process, and also uh, the counseling side of things. So I really found that it was a much better fit for me early on my second year of undergrad. So when you ended up down at, how, how did you come to choose AT Still? Uh, well, there was a, one other uh, student that was like two years ahead of me that went down there, had a really good experience and, and let uh, my my professor know that. So through the process of looking at schools, I also looked at knowing that it was built as an audiology program, not as a or as a doctoral program uh, originally. So uh, the process of what I was going to learn was going to be much more uh, scaled towards me being able to see a patient when I was done. So I really enjoyed that. 
That's cool. So um, during your time there, what stands out to you? Any uh, memorable teachers, mentors, um, courses, part of the curriculum, anything that like really stands out in your mind? Uh, You know, I loved their their open door policy, their their ability to, you know, hop in their office at any time, ask a question. I spent a lot of time with uh, certain professors on the golf course on the weekends. You know, so I didn't just learn from them in in the classroom, but I learned from them, you know, about life and about how to, um, you know, perform as an audiologist uh, and work with people as well. So, you know, I, I love all of my professors. So it'd be really hard to uh, <laughs> say one versus the other because uh, they're all great. Uh, Dr. Trahan was great for the fact that his background was tinnitus, which is a strong suit of mine. And he connected me with Paula. So, uh, that was uh, one of the, the benefits. He was also a golfing partner. Uh, so there's some stories there that if you asked him <laughs> versus me, I'm sure they'd be quite a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, that's really cool. So, um, you know, you mentioned there that you got connected from this professor to Paula and you had said previously that, you know, you always knew that you wanted to do private practice. I mean, was the idea I'm going to go, I'm going to get my degree and then I'm going to come back to, I'm going to come home, uh, uh, to Minnesota and that's where I'm going to practice. And that's how you got connected to Paula. Yeah. I always wanted to come back. I knew that uh, it was a means to an end down there. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think it's a great place to visit. I still want to visit there, especially right now when it's like uh, snow showers and 20 degrees out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah uh, I, I really do enjoy being down there, but my family's here. Uh, my life has always been here. I grew up in central Minnesota, a small town, middle of nowhere. So even living in the metro of Minneapolis area, it's uh, it's still quite a bit different. Uh, but it's it's close to home, so I could still make it to all these holidays like Thanksgiving last week. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, cool. So you get connected to Paula, and how long was it? Um, how did things go there? Obviously, it must have gone well enough to where you took the practice over, but maybe can you walk me through what that period is like, and when was it identified that you would be the successor, I guess, of of her practice? I interviewed at a few different places for my third and fourth year positions uh, up in the in the metro area, and ownership was always a, a strong uh, desire for me. So I did spend quite a bit of time trying to find people that I thought that there was an opportunity. She was a growing practice, and I ended up doing my third year with her and part of my fourth year, and they pre- presented me with a great opportunity for growth. It was a team aspect to begin with which is something that I really do appreciate. And and if you look at the clinic now today, it's still a very big part of how we work and operate as a culture. Uh, so it was it was a great opportunity for me to you know branch out, but also have support of a team. So uh, that was in 2010 when I graduated, they offered me a job right away. So uh, in the transition between 2010 to 2017 was no doubt a rocky situation because you got to be ready. They got to be ready. And there's a lot of emotions involved. This is her baby and I'm going to take it over. You know how that all is going to work. There was definitely some times where you didn't know, but we always had the same goal that when they're ready to go, that I'd have that opportunity. And when they were ready, I 
I was ready to go. So uh, it's been a, a learning opportunity constantly since then. So I thought I was a, a leader and that people liked me and, and it's going to go fine. But you realize when you start to become an owner of a practice that has multiple people involved, you have to learn traits to be a leader too, not just an audiologist. And so ever since then, that's been my focus. There seems like there's a lot to that whole statement. I mean, I feel like that's like uh, definitely worth unpacking. So what, um, what are some of the things that I guess you could share about maybe that part of your, your journey of learning about like, okay, I need, there's more than just like the career development side of the actual, like learning all the ins and outs of being a high performing audiologist, but to be a leader, to be an owner, a manager, all of that stuff. I mean, what were some of the things that you took away from that formative period where it sounds like you were probably growing a lot and, um, a lot of trial and error and, you know, just like overcoming things and learning through firsthand experience. So there's nothing that's really, I think a replacement for that, but what could you share with people that, you know, aren't in a position like that yet, but might be down the line? There is definitely a journey for everyone. And that journey is going to have ups and downs. There's no doubt. But the primary thing is, is that you have to have a goal in mind and continue to work towards that goal. Uh, so uh, in that process of me taking over, there's no doubt I learned opportunity. I had learning situations that uh, I had a, an employee that was stealing from me because I was too trustworthy. Uh, I didn't communicate well with my team. I didn't give them my vision very well. Uh, and I didn't keep that momentum going in the right direction. I didn't keep people accountable as much as I probably should have. So learning through that process, you know, people were unhappy. And so they they told me a lot on how to operate and how to change. So uh, then I also started picking up books. Uh, so I'm not a I'm not a, uh, a a reader per se, but I'm a listener. So I have about 150 books in here uh, that I listen nice. to on a regular basis. Uh, I would say. 30 to 40 new books a year minimum. Uh, and then I listen to a lot of the old books multiple times. Uh, it's created our whole new culture. And I know that if I want my team to continue to get better, I have to get better. So I have to keep reaching out. So I've joined mastermind groups uh, and have met with practice owners from around the country multiple times a year uh, to make sure that I'm providing the best level of uh, leadership to my team so that way they can continue to grow as well. Um, I feel like this really resonates as a young person that is like, you know, my ho hopes and aspirations are to move into, you know, higher levels of leadership and stuff like that. And, and one of the questions that I always, always have is kind of like, well, what are actual the actual tactics to doing that. So I appreciate you sharing like that, like audiobooks were a huge source and wealth of knowledge for you. But I'm curious, like, so in the um, example of like you mentioned, where you weren't really a good communicator to your team, um, what does Jason 2.0 look like? You know, I guess like from the past of what you maybe were doing to where you are now, what are some tangible differences in terms of the way in which you, uh, you communicate now? So I think back to some of my best professors going through school. They had the ability to teach to multiple different learning styles at the same time, 
right? Some people needed to hear it. Some people needed to do it. Some people needed to read about it. So they would have multiple modalities within their program to be able to make sure that all the students are successful. And that's what made a really good professor. So I took a lot of that information into my practice as well, having multiple ways to be able to communicate to our team. So we use uh, uh, Microsoft Teams, we have email, we have a, a larger uh, kind of an intranet program. It's kind of like a Facebook uh, page for our company that's all HIPAA compliant. So we keep a lot of data and we're accessible as much as possible. That also meant I needed to see less patients. So that way I could be more accessible to them. So now I'm down only seeing patients about 12 hours a week. And the rest of the time, I'm traveling office to office to uh, work with the team, make sure that they have all the tools to be able to grow professionally and keep our, our company going forward as well. Yeah, this is super interesting. So, um, you know, with this, were you like, when you started to feel like, okay, this is all like, as you started implementing these new communication strategies and stuff like that, did you feel like you were getting momentum and how quickly did you feel like, okay, like this is, um, I'm getting momentum behind all these new changes and this is the path that I need to go. Was it something that happened rather suddenly or did it, was it like a multi-year process where you just kind of like slowly introduced new ways in which you communicate new processes, stuff like that? For the most part, it was kind of a slow transition. I would say in 20, uh, 2019 was a big year because uh, uh, I owned uh, two practices, two locations, uh, 2017 through 2019. I hired a new director of finance who came from uh, the industry and had an MBA and understanding. So he brought a lot to the table on the communication side that I didn't realize, you know, coming from a big business uh, side of things, coming from the manufacturer side of things, he had a lot more skills in that area. Uh, top of that, adding three more locations in 2019, they, we learned a lot from how not to do things, from not supporting them enough, not giving them a plan, not giving them tools to succeed. So uh, 2019 was a very big year on learning. Uh, so this year, when we added two more locations, I felt like we were much more confident. Uh, the staff was much more uh, ready to jump on board with us and felt like they had a purpose within our larger team to be able to, to still support their patients and provide the same level of care that we were trying to achieve in all of our locations. So it's been good. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so with, uh, you know, I, like you take over the practice in 2017, um, what was the the first like big, you know, I guess change that had your fingerprints on it um, as the new owner? Was it an, uh, another clinic expanding? Was it adding new services? Um, I guess you said it was 2017, right? So yep. what, what were some of those, I guess, first, uh, you know, post-Jason ownership changes like? I think it was more culturally, uh, trying to support my team more, uh, you know, pushing them. I'm not necessarily motivated by money. I'm more motivated by impact. So pushing them to provide a bigger impact by supporting them education-wise, uh, you know, having more fun time as well, you know, so we could build our family a little bit stronger, I think were some of the things that I pushed early on that were a little bit different than the previous uh, owner. And uh, it's still today a big part of our culture. Uh, I would say 
we added uh, an actual process to hiring someone, you know, and actually what we're looking for in that person. So reading a book called The Ideal Team Player, we came up with that we need to look for people who are hungry, humble, and smart. So we asked specific questions to find those characteristics, because if they have those, we can pretty much train them to do anything. So uh, it's still been a big part of our philosophy, and that was, well, five, three, three years ago, that uh, that book. And I make everybody that we hire read that book as well. So What's it called again? The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Okay. You had mentioned too that you listen to some of your books like twice, maybe even three times a year. What is on, without putting you too much on the spot, like what's on your Mount Rushmore of the books that you felt have have changed your outlook the most, I guess? I would go more than just books, but authors. So Patrick Lencioni is a big, uh, big motivator in my, my wheelhouse for sure. Uh, Brene Brown, I love uh, Simon Brown. Sinek, because they all provide uh, a perspective that is different than my own uh, and something that's a hot topic of how a younger generation, which I have a fairly young staff, uh, how they operate and how they operate in, in, together as a team. So, you know, bringing different perspectives are, are big. So I would say those are probably my three biggest authors. Awesome. Uh, and there's probably altogether at least 15 books between the three that I would recommend uh, that are worth your time. So that's awesome. I'm familiar with Brene and Simon Sinek. Um, I mean, Simon Sinek's kind of a legend on the, you know, know your why the golden (laughs) circle and all that. And uh, Brene Brown is a huge podcast inspiration for, I think a lot of us podcasters. So um, I'm familiar with those two, but I'll have to check out Patrick. I don't know him as well. Yeah. Um, He's a lot more structural in how you can lead a business, you know, you know, having more meetings, but how the meetings should be set up, you know, so that way your company is communicating better. Uh, you know, a lot of people push back on having meetings because they feel like they're pointless. Well, if you have an agenda and it's given out three days in advance and they get time to do their homework for it, that meeting can be so much more effective. Totally. And so those are the things that I've learned from him. Uh, I know he's a he's a member with Entree Leadership with Dave Ramsey, so he consults a lot on that uh, podcast as well. So I think that uh, he's he was one of my original authors to listen to, and his books are fable based, so they're a lot easier to read and listen to, uh, and they give good options or good uh, ideas on how to implement too. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, again, I just think about like, it's one thing to talk about, Hey, you know, here's how to go about starting a private practice or whatever. And it, it, I feel like typically things linger on the high level abstract, you know, like you just move into it and you do this thing. And I feel like you're kind of left with like, well, what are the concrete actionable things I can be working on day to day to prepare myself and just like give myself as much of a head start as possible. So I love these suggestions. I think these are absolutely great. Um, Okay. So to, to change gears a little bit, I mean, I I love this whole piece around, you know, career development, but, um, and, and, you know, leadership development, but with the audiology side of your repertoire, um, how did you really like grow that? Um, did you have the opportunity to get different types of hands-on experience, whether it was in university or, um, within, you know, Paula's practice initially, what was that, portion of your career, like where you were kind of accumulating your skills, if you will? Well, 
it's a busy practice and I always was when I started with them. So I, I graduated on Saturday, on Monday, I had a full schedule. So <laughs> I think that my uh, experience is half the battle, right? You, you got to get time in, you got to learn techniques. You got to listen to yourself. If you ever recorded yourself and listen back, you can learn so much about how you communicate and what are the right words to say? You know, how many times do I say, um, and how does that affect uh, the influence of that patient? Do they feel like I actually know what I'm talking about? Do I actually know what I'm talking about, right? So those are the things that I've learned on the job. And I think that a big part of it is also just, you know, going to conferences, yeah. staying a forward thinker. You know, I'm a huge proponent of going to conferences. I go to AAA and ADA. I go to the UMAC conference, which is our Midwest uh, our conference for Minnesota. And there's so much you can learn by staying ahead of the game, just going and meeting with people. You can learn almost as much going uh, and sitting at the bar or at the coffee shop before and after classes as you can while you're in those classes, too. <laughs> Couldn't agree more with that. And it's like a good segue into, you know, I just saw you at ADA, um, which great. It was great to see you again. And um, I couldn't agree more with that, though, from the standpoint of, you know, I've been saying this on the podcast recently, like one of the things that I find most exciting uh, and positive that's happening right now within our industry is this sense of collaboration seems to be growing. I just feel like there's more open and transparent, candid dialogue being had right now in the public, on podcasts, on YouTube shows, whatever, where people are very candidly talking about, here's what has worked well for me. Um, you know, here are some of the shortcomings that I had, you know, whether as a professional or as a person, um, like all of this stuff. And I feel like it, the impetus for a lot of this is actually at the in-person trade shows where people build those relationships. And then those relationships now I think are carrying over to this like more mature online space that we have now where there's more kinds of formats to interact with one another. So I just want to like highlight that as I couldn't agree more. And I guess it's a good time to bring up that you are the president elect. Um, so not 2023, but 2024, you'll be the president of ADA. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess we'll change gears for a minute and, and just talk about that real quick. How did you come to decide that you wanted to uh, run for that position? Well, I always knew that uh, ADA was the right, right uh, organization for me to spend as much energy into as I can. Uh, it, it, uh, it's the movers and shakers of our industry. It's the forward thinkers. It's the people who care or are passionate about seeing our profession live on at a higher level and providing the top level of care to our patients and work the hardest, in my opinion, and I'm a little bit biased because I'm on the board, uh, to make sure that audiology has a future. And so I think that the way that they operate, every uh conference is going to have good things to pull from, but I feel like I get more out of that conference. And the way they restructured it this last year uh, to make sure that everybody kind of had a comprehensive approach to different areas and had tangible items on Monday morning they could implement was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. I'll just say that this ADA 
I've had more um, like offhand discussions with people where they said the same thing that this was one of the best uh, agendas that they've had at one of these conferences because it was so grounded in like the reality of the situation right now. Like just for example, that uh, mobile audiology pre-conference workshop that took place the day before the show was unbelievable. I mean, really, it was like having panels of people that were talking about, you know, like how they're setting up their mobile audiology practice and some of the different like things that they've learned along the way. Again, it's just people sharing this firsthand experience that I feel like it not only I think helps to draw more people in and and make it feel like more, um, I don't know, like it, it feasible, like it's possible to do. And then at the same time, say like, you know, here are things that I would have told my past self had I already gone through all this. So in a way it's like, I feel like there's this collaboration that's happening. That's very, uh, very positive right now. And ADA seemed to really embody that. So I just a huge kudos on that front. And, and it seemed like it was so well received that I have to imagine that's going to be the idea moving forward is less academic talks, if you will, and more of kind of like, here's what's really happening um, on a day-to-day basis within our clinics. And here's real world examples that are very tangible um, rather than citing something out of a textbook. Right. Well, I think that on top of that, you know, you think about academics and the, the tangible things that we need to use. There is a blend and we have to find where we're using our top scope of practice. If we aren't using all the things, all the tools in our, our audiology tool belt, then we're not support, supporting our patients and the consumer the way we're supposed to. And then somebody else will. So I think that it's really important. And I think it's the vision of ADA to keep working at the, the highest level of our scope of practice. To be able to uh, do that, we got to have conferences that that express that too. Totally. Um, so, you, you know, touching on this whole point about practicing the full scope, that's been another big theme on this podcast is like, you know, how do we kind of like re-elevate and uh, create an equal perception of the, per, you know, of the patient, of the consumer, of all the different things that an audiologist does? And um, I mean, I think there's a lot to be really excited about from all of these sort of ancillary non-hearing aid uh, specific, you know, portions of the, of the scope, whether it's vestibular or tinnitus or cochlear implants or you name it. Um, it just feels like there's more of a focus than ever on some of this stuff. And, and not only just like knowing that there's a demand and that, that we should be as an industry, I think like encapsulating this whole thing, but it seems like there's more concrete ways to monetize some of this stuff that maybe hadn't been as monetizable in the past or well known as to how you monetize it. So can you maybe share, um, you know, as you were scaling, I thought when we were talking beforehand, what's really interesting about your practice is that you have certain clinics within the seven that are specialty clinics for a specific, uh, like a cochlear implant or something like that. Can you just talk to me about what the kind of mindset is there. And as you've been scaling, has that been front and center with your decision-making process of like, all right, I'm going to need another cochlear implant center. So I need to geographically be strategic about where I place that. Just kind of walk me through that part of your practice. As a friend of mine once told me, and I still look at it in my notes all the time, the, the riches are in the niches. (laughs) 
So if you aren't if you aren't uh, focusing on all parts of the uh, scope of practice, there are areas in there that that you're missing out on. And so our area, we we specialize in tinnitus. So we have two of our locations and four four providers currently that are doing tinnitus, and we are you know TRT trained, and we have been even before I took ownership. So it's been you know something that we've been uh, really priding ourselves on finding. Uh, that niche. But now it's like, well, there are a lot of audiologists on my staff that tinnitus isn't for them. And they have uh, joy in doing more than just hearing aid, hearing aid fittings, and they want to do more. So we've been branching out. My goal is to be a full-fledged audiology practice, to be able to support every patient in any way hearing or tinnitus or balance related. So, you know, as I find more providers to come on staff, I ask them their passion, and if they're passionate about something, I will support it. If it's something that we're not currently doing, you know, the the push right now, and and listening to some of your podcasts in the back before, it's all about you know co- cognitive abilities and speech and noise testing and and auditory processing disorder and being able to uh, support that part because I think that's going to be a huge part of the future of audiology is is working in the brain more than the ear so we need to be able to uh, support that and have experience so uh, as our team continues to grow I'm going to support them in that area now when it comes to you know, adding new tools to the area it really depends upon, you know, is there a need? So we we do, you know, an assessment of the area of where, where people are able to get the care. And if they're not able to get it locally, then we're going to try to support it as much as possible. So um, you, what, what was it that originally kind of captivated you about tinnitus? Uh, I really liked that it was different. Uh, Dr. Trahan, my uh, mentor, professor, uh, really brought it up that these are people that are underserved and uh, the the satisfaction of helping somebody in that area was much higher. Uh, they you know, you're you're essentially taking somebody that could be you know locking themselves in a quiet room to being able to go back to work and have a, a reasonable life again, a lifestyle that they had prior. And that can make a huge difference. So it was something that gave a lot of satisfaction to me to be able to help somebody in that scenario. So uh, originally it was it was uh, always from when I wanted to do my fourth year, I was looking for a place to be able to have that as a background. So has that been the uh, kind of like the, the key magnet of patient acquisition is tinnitus or is it kind of across the board? You get patients for all different types of things. I don't, I don't market for tinnitus management anywhere anymore. Okay. Uh, and I currently only see uh, new tinnitus patients. So I'll, I'll have a few hearing care patients that I still see, but I primarily only see new tinnitus patients uh, because we're running into a capacity issue. Mm. Uh, there is much more of a need and we, we don't want to overwhelm ourselves uh, it's a pretty stressful appointment. It can be. Uh, there's a lot more paperwork typically with workman's comp or auto injuries or TBI situations. So there's, we we try not to take on more than what we can chew. So uh, in that area, it meant that that's what I could only focus on. And we're still booked out about three months in that area. Wow. Um, 
And then some of the other things that you're expanding into, what other parts of the scope, I guess, if you will, or parts of the scope that you feel could maybe be expanded, um, what's giving you, what's making you excited about, you know, some of the different other areas beyond just like tinnitus and hearing aids that um, you're getting involved with? Well, just learning more about the brain and how the brain interacts with hearing and the ear itself. Uh, you know, we're looking at cognition. We're we're at a cognitive view. Uh, we have it in four of our locations now. Uh, we're creating a whole communication needs assessment. So we're we you know I listened to your talk with Brent Edwards about how the audiogram is so very basic in the fact of how <laughs> to program a hearing aid and 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 treat the person. We need to be looking at speech and noise tests. So we're we're adding a lot more speech and noise uh, testing to our protocols uh, and validation measures that are much stronger. Besides just questionnaires, we actually want to want to use the science to our benefit to help our patients more. Yeah, I that that um, talk that I did with Brent, I it was really interesting in the moment. Um, it was kind of short because he was at the train station, um, but I didn't really realize the magnitude of what he was saying until I actually heard. This is like the third time I've now cited this conversation on the new season. Um, but when Dr. Kathleen Wallace interviewed Barbara Weinstein, Dr. Barbara Weinstein. And, um, you know, cause she's the one that created the whole hearing handicap index. Um, she was talking a lot about kind of the same thing where it's like the pure tone audiogram isn't really the best, like, um, compass, I guess, to, yeah. to kind of like understand where somebody, you need to have some kind of self-assessment as well. And so I listened back to the whole Brent thing and what he said was like super interesting, like basically that the way in which we assess hearing loss, like the whole methodology is probably antiquated and needs to be updated. So I think that's a, that's a really interesting, like that could have a massive um, implications if, if that really were to, if we were to usher in a totally new way um, again, like, you know, I know Nick Reed and Johns Hopkins team have talked about having a score, you know, so it's not just like, um, it's not like I have mild hearing loss or moderate hearing loss. It's much more akin to your eyesight. I have 2020 eyesight. I have 2010 eyesight. So right. it's like, would it, would it make more sense to have different ways in which we even talk about hearing loss? So that whole thing was, there was so much more than met the eye for me um, as I kind of was like unpacking it and, and listening back. And I was like, that was very insightful what he said. Right. I agree. We, we do need to continue to progress as a profession. You know, I know that we're still a fairly young medical profession. We're, you know, we really kind of took off in the 50s. So uh, you think about all the other professions that have probably higher level of uh, processing or higher level of uh, diagnosing tools than what we have is because we haven't gotten there yet. So, you know, we're, we're along in this journey right now. We have a lot of opportunities for growth. We just got to continue to push forward and, and set some goals along the way. Yeah. Um, okay. So another topic that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on is staffing um, and recruiting. And, you know, as you scale, that seems to be one of the biggest challenges is finding the right people have the right composition of your team. The last thing you want is to bring the wrong people on board and, and sort of like poison, you know, the, the rest of the team or something like that. Like you just want to have that good team chemistry. So in a, 
you know, market that I think everywhere there's a a little bit of a labor shortage right now. And, you know, I don't know how many young audiologists are aspiring to even work in a private practice. Like that could be a challenge that you're running into. So I'm just curious, like what um, has that portion of your clinic and scaling the clinics been like, what has it been a challenge or have you found it to be pretty, um, you guys have done well with it? We have done well, uh, but it's becoming more of a challenge. So uh, in the past, we would get two to three uh, good candidates and they do very well. Now we'll get two to three good candidates, but uh, you have to look uh, at how they're going to fit with the culture. And it could be a little bit more of a challenging uh, situation. And uh, because there aren't a lot of audiologists available right now, and you don't want to be too picky but you have core traits that you're going to look for and you really need to uh, stay with them as much as possible uh, to grow correctly. So, you know, we communicate with our why on our, uh, our job postings right off the bat, right? So we want to make sure that they know exactly what they're signing up for ahead of time. And then we, we meet in teams because we're a team oriented. We're a, a we team, not a me team. Uh, and so we have multiple visits with the uh, person we're trying to hire. Uh, and most of the time it works out. Uh, there are definitely times where, you know, I was driving three hours uh, each way to a clinic to cover it because we didn't have a provider for a year and a half. Uh, and wow. that was not fun, but it gave me a lot of opportunity to listen to books. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I bet you could like knock out a whole bunch of books that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and since then, I mean, we hired like 15 people in 15 months. It was crazy uh, in the last couple of years, but now things are getting a little bit harder to find good people uh, that fit the culture the way we want them to be. And uh, not to say that there aren't really good people out there that just may not fit exactly what we're looking for. Uh, so it gets a little bit harder to find that right person. So that's I'll keep working at it though. Yeah, yeah. So that's on the recruiting new people, how do you maintain that good team chemistry that you all seem to have in spades? I would say the biggest part of our success is employee engagement. You know, keeping our team excited. We're very transparent in where our numbers are, where our company is going. Uh, we're setting goals individually as a team. Uh, and we work uh, together. We have multiple meetings, so we're communicating. And we're also trying to have fun every once in a while. So, you know, we'll we'll take our team and go to a baseball game. We'll we'll go. You know, I took them to Miami last year for Christmas nice. for a day. Uh, out on a short notice, they didn't know where we were going until three <laughs> days before we left, and uh, we had a great time. And we came back ready, energized, ready to rock and roll again. That's so, awesome. Uh, you know, as we continue to grow, I can't say that I'll always be able to travel and take my team to far off places and the beach for when it's winter time. But uh, we try to do our best to show that they're valued and that they get to make a difference in the world when they work for Audiology Concepts. I love it. And what is Audiology Concepts? Why? Uh, it's to provide a high level of care. I got to read it to you because it's, it's a little bit long, but <laughs> I think it's really good. I'm so, curious. Anybody that's like a big Simon Sinek fan, I feel like has kind of done the exercise. So I'm always curious to, uh, hear, you know, what you're, what you came out of it with. 
I used to have it memorized, but uh, <laughs> it was in 2019 in April when we first uh, had the three extra clinics. We we watched that video of Simon Sinek doing his TED Talk on the why, and then we sat down for about two hours to kind of develop this. But it's we believe in helping each other to be better, to live fuller, and to hear more. Our knowledgeable team delivers the best experience in hearing healthcare and through our individualized approach that combines cutting edge practices with the latest technologies, we keep you connected. So that's our why, that's what we've developed as a team. We've, uh, I've gone over it multiple times asking, do we need to redevelop it? We've added more people, we've had new people. And uh, so far everybody still believes that that's what it should be. So uh, we, we stay with that. That is awesome. I absolutely love that. So to close here, um, you know, what does the next year look like? You know, as we head into 2023, what are the goals of audiology concepts? What are your personal goals? Um, I'm sure you're going to be ramping up your involvement with ADA. Is it, uh, you know, you become the president elect working with Dawn. Um, so what's 2023 look like for you and your practice? Uh, I think we're going to be trying to figure out how we can use our abilities to help our current patients better. We, we need to operate at the, the highest level scope of our practice. And that includes you know, more cognition, the communication needs assessment, more assessments, and uh, you know, it's starting to add more technicians to be able to support our providers better. So we'll be working on plans to achieve that a little bit better. If an opportunity arises to you know, add another location, we'll definitely be entertaining it. Uh, but I think our primary goal is to, you know, we just moved our, our main office and that was a fairly big expense and then added <laughs> two more locations. So uh, this year has been a, a spending year. So next year, maybe more of a uh, recouping some of our expenses uh, as well. But uh, I, I've been, I'm currently the president of Minnesota Academy of Audiology as well. So I'll be you know, going into past presidency in 2023 and being able to mentor our, our new president in, in that role. And I just look forward to also you know, providing uh, any support I can for our profession uh, legislatively and, and spend time in Capitol Hill if I need to. So that's fantastic. Well, Jason, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really uh, glad that we had a chance to do this. Your practice is, I think, just a really cool example of you know, how this can kind of unfold. And I feel like you've come at it with such a, um, you know, just a well thought out way. I mean, just from everything on the leadership and, and personal development side of things. And I feel like that's really embodied by your practice. You know, I think the only way that you can be successful in scaling your business the way that you have is to look inward and make sure that you guys are a sound team. Um, because I feel like that, could lead to um, a road to that you don't want to go down. Well, and there's no doubt I have to thank my team for a majority of that. You know, I, I try to keep it going and you know be that leader for them, but they all work their tails off. And I really appreciate how much work that they do. And, uh, you know, all my mastermind groups, things like that, that I've been in that they've given me a lot of skills to be able to support them. So uh, it's not all me uh, in this process, <laughs> but uh, thank you for that. And I really uh, look forward to seeing what you have for the next thousand more episodes <laughs> for you. Yeah, yeah, I'll get right on it. Um, well, thanks so much, Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we'll chat with you next time. Cheers.